So I think it's a little hard to believe, but this week, middle of November, we're actually entering into our last seven sermons in this year-long journey through the New Testament that I hope you've been doing with us. We're entering our last seven sermons. Today, I'm going to be preaching on the letters of Peter. Over the past week, hopefully, if you've been following along, you've been reading those letters, First and Second Peter. This coming week, we'll be moving into the letters of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then Jude. And then beginning in December, we'll be starting the book of Revelation in a five-week sermon series on that. And personally, I'm glad that we've reached these kind of short letters that we have from Peter and John, because I really don't think that as a church, we, we tend to spend as much time maybe preaching and maybe studying these letters as we should, because maybe that's because they're relatively short, Paul has so much more content in the New Testament for us to draw on, and these are our really short letters. But if we go with the traditional church understanding that these letters are written by, by Peter and by John, they're written by two of Jesus' closest disciples, two of his closest friends. And if that's the case, then it might really be a good thing for us to pay attention to what they have to say. And in my opinion, actually, one of, I think, is probably the most avoided passages in all the New Testament is what I'm going to preach on today. And these come from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. And here's what Peter has to say there. He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And this kind of intimidating concept of holiness runs throughout these two letters of Peter. And that verse that, that's quoted there at the end, that Peter quotes at the end, that verse, be holy because I am holy, that actually comes from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. It's four times in the book of Leviticus, in the Old Testament. Levit Leviticus 11.44 says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am holy. The very next verse goes on and says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy, because I am holy. A few chapters later, Leviticus 19.2 has God say to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And finally, in the next chapter, it says, Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. So, a lot of times if we study the Old Testament, it's pointed out there's this Hebrew word, Kadesh, in the Old Testament, it's usually translated holy. And a lot of the times when we read that and we study that, we learn that that word also means sacred. It also means to be set apart, to be set apart for the work of God, to be set apart for God's use is to be holy, to be Kadesh. And when we emphasize that, what we do is, is we shift the emphasis from holiness being an attribute that human beings can actually acquire an attribute of our human character to holiness just being something more functional. To be holy simply means to be set apart, to do the work of God in the, word, in the world. It doesn't really have anything to do 
with a transformation of our character when we emphasize that. And while it is true, that is part of what this word kadesh, this word to be holy, means in the Old Testament, it's also true that what was supposed to identify the people in Old Testament times as set apart for God, what was supposed to make them distinct from the rest of the world was that they actually had their lives transformed into the, 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 the obedience of God. What made them different was that their lives really were obedient. They really were living holy lives set apart to display God's holiness to the world, to be representatives of God's holiness in the world. And in Peter's letter, here now in the New Testament, he claims that what's supposed to make followers of Christ distinct is the very same thing. Living lives that are set apart, that are different from the rest of the world because the Christian character has been transformed. Transformed into what Paul actually refers to as the mind of Christ. And, and David mentioned that last week. And it's going to be something we're really emphasizing throughout 2020. And in a nutshell, what that really means is that Christians are called to reflect this virtue, this change of character called holiness, not to conform to evil desires. Now, the founder of Methodism, you may have heard of, is this guy named John Wesley. And for John Wesley, he was profoundly affected, profoundly affected by these verses from Leviticus and from Peter, because he was taken aback by the fact that in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it's stated as a command. A command. I don't know if you picked up on that, but it's a command. It's not, it would be great if you would really try to be holy. Okay? It's not, you know, holiness is this goal I've set for you, but it's okay, you can't really achieve it. What both of them say is, be holy because I am holy. And part of John Wesley's conviction, and this set him apart from a lot of the other religious leaders in his day, and probably sets him apart from them today, too, actually, was his belief that if God commands it, it must be possible. He was absolutely convinced that God would never command us to do something that it's actually impossible for us to do. And John Wesley found this conviction absolutely affirmed in these letters of Peter, and especially in this, this reading that I want to focus on today, especially 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, which says this, His, and that's God's, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Listen to this. So that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And so these letters, these letters from Peter became kind of theological foundational components of our unique Methodist teachings and traditions. The belief first that God has called us to be a holy people. But second, that God has actually empowered us and is empowering us to be holy, giving us everything we need to actually participate, in Peter's words, in his nature of holiness, to actually escape, escape 
the corruption that's caused by evil desires. Now, whether or not we believe that this is possible, I think boils down to these fundamental questions. Does God have the ability, the power, to actually restore us to the kind of people God wanted us to be when he created us? Does God have that ability? Does God have that power? And if so, the second question is, is he willing to share that power with us? Well, the good news that Peter really wants to share with us in these letters is that the emphatic answer to that question is yes. Absolutely yes. We actually can become better people. And if we can teach, if we can encourage the whole world to embrace that power, to receive this gift that God so wants to give them, then the world can actually and truly become a better world. Now, Peter goes on in his letter here to acknowledge that this transformation is a process. It's a process, and that in each one of us, this process takes time, and it also takes effort on our part. Even though God has given us everything we need, and that's what Peter says, even though God has given us everything we need, we don't always tap into it. We don't always take advantage of it. It's there, but just because God makes it available to us doesn't mean we use it. And part of what John Wesley believed, he thought that the reason we don't use it is because deep in our hearts, we don't really expect to change. We don't expect to get any better. We don't really expect to become holy people. And he thought a large part of that was because what we've been taught is that salvation is simply about the forgiveness of sin and going to heaven to be with God when we die. When what salvation really is, what Jesus really offers us, is a complete transformation of life, a literal escape from the corruption caused by evil desires. Not just when we die, but now, in this lifetime. But this transformation into the people that God wants us to be takes our cooperation to actually achieve. As Peter says, God has given us all we need, and in theological language, we have a word for this. We call it sanctifying grace, okay? But we need to make the effort to use it. It's available to us, it's there, but we need to make the effort to use the grace that God gives us. So in his letter, Peter goes on and he gives this kind of step-by-step recipe of what we need to do, what we need to add into our spiritual lives to actually get to this final product, to be the holy people that God wants us to be. So in the very next verses, he writes, for this very reason, and, and that is referring back to that God has given us everything we need, for this very reason, make every effort, telling us to use our effort, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. So the way Peter sees it, each one of these qualities, each one of these qualities promotes acquiring the next one. You start from this base, you start from this foundation, and you add these pieces one by one, and each one 
helps you to acquire the next one. Now, here's something you probably didn't know about me. I don't think I've ever talked about this up here before. I love to bake. I love to bake pies, especially. I'm not a chef. I am not a chef. I could not make something from scratch, pulling stuff out, if my life depended on it. But I am a great recipe follower. I love to follow a recipe. I just, I'm something fascinating to me about the fact that you can take these cans, all these dry ingredients, mix them together in the right proportions, all these wet ingredients, you know, add heat to it, throw it in the oven, and out comes this delicious dessert. I'm amazed. For me, it's kind of like a chemistry experiment or something. I don't know. I, I, I just, I love it. It fascinates me, and it always works if, if you follow the recipe. And if you've ever done baking, you know that the order in which you do things really does matter. It really does matter. You have to mix the dry ingredients in the right ratios and the right proportions first, right? You have to mix all the wet ingredients first. And it's really important that you add the dry to the wet, not the other way around. It doesn't come out as well if you do it the other way. You have to do things right if you want to reach that perfect final product. The perfect pie, the perfect cake's the result of this step-by-step -step process that gets you there. And what Peter writes is that for us, the starting point, the starting point on this perfect final product that God has in mind for our lives, the starting point of that, he says, is faith. Faith is the starting point. So what's faith and how do we get that in the first place? Well, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And Romans 10.17 says, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So the starting point, the starting point on this journey of Christian growth towards holiness is a saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's step one, a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And it's so important for us to understand this, or we get confused about this idea of holiness and we think we have to already be these perfect and holy people in order for God to save us. We don't. God saves us exactly where we are right now. God accepts us as we are. God saves us exactly where we are. Paul writes, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. We don't need to do anything at all to be saved other than accept God's gracious gift of salvation. It is a gift to us, and that is all we need to do. Accept it to be welcomed into God's presence now and eternally. But, but, sadly, a lot of Christian theological traditions end there, as if this moment of accepting the grace, accepting Christ as your Savior, was the end goal. And maybe that's what you've been taught. Okay, but I'm here to tell you, God wants so much more than that for you, for us. God wants us to experience life, what Jesus called life in abundance, here and now, the way God always intended human life to be. And that is what actually takes our intentional effort, our intentional cooperation with God's grace to make happen. So Peter says the first step 
The first step in getting to that kind of holy life, he says, is make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Goodness. And by goodness, Peter means a kind of a moral power, a strength of moral character. Depending on which translation of the Bible you look at it, it might be translated excellence or virtue, or even in, in one newer translation I saw, it, it's actually translated moral excellence. So what Peter's encouraging us to do is not just settle for an awareness of our eternal security with God in heaven through our faith, to not just settle for that, but to actually strive then to make morally excellent choices, to do the right thing always. Now remember, right, right off the bat, doing the right thing doesn't save us. It has nothing to do with that. But once we have been saved by grace, then striving to do the right thing always in every circumstance moves us along on this path toward holiness. And God's grace gives us the ability to make good choices. So Peter says then to add to our goodness, knowledge. Specifically, he says, knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Knowledge. John 17.3 says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowledge of God and Christ is eternal life. So moving along this path towards holiness means making an intentional decision, making the effort on your part to grow in your knowledge of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. The Bible is our textbook. It's the reason we've done this entire journey through the, Testament, through the New Testament this year. Studying God's word, increasing our actual intellectual understanding of who God is, of how God has acted in history, of how God is revealed perfectly in Jesus Christ. That study, that work, is perfectly suited to our growth towards holiness. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, Every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, for training character, so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. So knowledge of God enhances our ability to live lives of moral excellence because it shows us through the life of Jesus, through what we read, more fully why and how making wise choices leads to this abundance, this fullness of life that Jesus promises. Then Peter says to add to your knowledge, self-control. If you like to read the King James Version or if you're just old-fashioned, temperance was the word there, temperance, self-control. Because here's the thing. Study of scripture helps us not just to know God, it helps us to know ourselves. And once we know ourselves, once we know what our temptations are, once we know what our weaknesses are, where our weak points are, then we can learn to control, to temper our own thoughts and our own actions. Self-control. We find that we can actually choose what we think about and what we do. That's why Paul encourages us in Philippians 4.8. He writes, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, 
if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Choose to think about those kinds of things. We find that we actually can choose what to think about. We actually can choose whether or not to carry out an action that our conscience tells us not to do. Self-control means making an intentional effort, effort to subdue the temptations of both the mind and the body. Peter then says to add to self-control perseverance. And sometimes that's translated patience or endurance. And what it means is the ability to stand firm in the faith no matter what happens. No matter what happens. Because look, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control will take us a long way. Okay? But the fact is that new temptations and new challenges are around every corner. Faith in Christ is hard in the world today. It is. And threats to our faith come from every direction and all the time. So Peter encourages us that even with our faith, even with our goodness and our knowledge and our self-control, we need to recognize that those threats are real, that they are going to come, and that we need to be ready to face them, and that it's going to take effort on our part to persevere through them. I think Peter remembers that Jesus had taught them this from Matthew 24. Jesus had said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm, the one who perseveres to the end, will be saved. So persevering, persevering through the challenges of life brings us even closer to holiness. So much so that Peter says the next thing to add is godliness. Godliness. Wow. I mean, we might say, isn't that the same thing as holiness? Godliness? But what Peter means by godliness is, is a reverent attitude toward God. It's a word that, again, older translations might translate piety. And what it means is being sure that we prioritize in our lives acts of personal devotion, things like prayer and solitude, being present in worship, being generous with our finances, and with our gifts and our talents, incorporating all of those things into our daily lives no matter what, no matter what happens, and maybe even especially after persevering through a challenge to your faith when the temptation to give those, thing, those things up might be really, really hard. Basically, it means following the footsteps of Jesus, living life the way he did, or he turned to God for guidance, even in the face of intense suffering. And Jesus also, I think, exemplified the next ingredient on the list, brotherly kindness, which is sometimes translated mutual affection. Peter wrote about this in his first letter too, saying, now that you have purified yourselves. Now hear that, now that you have purified yourselves. So he expects at this point, his followers, Jesus' followers will have purified. They've brought themselves along on this life of holiness. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers and sisters, love one another deeply from the heart. See, the closer we get to this holiness of life that God wants for us, the less distrust, envy, anger, and it's not a biblical word, but I'll say general snarkiness that we exhibit towards each other, the less of that we'll see. 
because our devotion, our time, piety that we've spent in the presence of God can't help but kind of start radiating back out from us. Random acts of kindness, holding our tongues, using words that encourage and build each other up instead of words that hurt feelings and tear each other down. That'll be our way of life, which sounds pretty good. And finally, Peter writes, after, after we've added to our faith goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness, Peter says the pièce de résistance, the crème de la crème, in this whole recipe for holiness is love. Love. Now, this is different from that mutual affection, that mutual kindness that we just added. That was the word there was philios. It's philios love. It's treating our family, treating our friends with this genuine kindness, this genuine affection. But this now, this is a word you may know called agape love. It's not an emotional feeling. It's a heartfelt concern for the good and welfare of every single other person no matter who they are and no matter what they've done in the world or what they've done to you. The kind of love demonstrated by Christ's life and especially by his death. It's a deliberate, self-giving attitude followed through on by deliberate, self-giving action. It's the kind of love Jesus meant when he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Do that so you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And this kind of self-sacrificial love is the culmination of Peter's whole recipe for holiness because I think Peter remembered what Jesus said to his disciples after he taught them about this kind of self-sacrificial love. At the end of his teaching on that, in Matthew 5, 48, Jesus said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now remember, these qualities they don't bring about our salvation. They don't bring about our salvation. Only God's grace and our faith are necessary for that. But Peter says, once you have a saving faith, he writes, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter didn't just mean when you die. He meant that if you do these things, if you do these things, you will actually experience a rich welcome into God's kingdom, into the life that God has always planned for you now, right now. God wants so much more for you than a someday life with him in heaven. God calls you and God empowers you today into a life of holiness.
because God is holy and God has given us everything we need to participate in his holiness. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.